Welcome to episode 330 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is April 10th, Sunday evening. No Sunday night baseball because it's snowing, sleeting, freezing in Detroit. But I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how's it going, my man? Uh, it is not snow, snowing, sleeting, and raining here. It's uh, although it was 28 yesterday morning. Uh, it has been <laughs> absolutely. It's been rather gorgeous. It's been unseasonably cool, which has allowed me to do yard work when I wasn't doing a draft. Uh, so, but it's. By the uh, way, we, we we talked about it. One of the best things about doing yard work is what. Listening to baseball games Doesn't on the radio get much better. And I said I don't have well, that. Actually, it's better if, if either of your teams win. But I went. I listened to one team blow it. Uh, couldn't you know, left opportunities. Brad, uh, Brad Miller hits it off the wall. They're down one. Hit it off the wall. They load the bases, leave them loaded. Then they allow a, a leadoff double. Move the runner over a wild pitch. Scores the runner, and, and then they did nothing against Zach Britton. Then I listened to the Astros game, and they lost too. So I would have enjoyed at least one win, but listening to games outdoors, nothing better. There really isn't. Like I said, I, I don't have a yard. I live in an apartment, but my comp is is dog walks with baseball on the radio. It, it, it's so great. Um, we've been having pretty nice weather, nothing too hot. I know a lot of folks probably wouldn't like it as hot as I do, but uh, I can still wear my hoodie, and it feels great. People probably look at me like I'm crazy wearing a hoodie at like 75, 80 degrees, but I feel fine. Um, we're going to dive right in, though, because we got quick some stuff to talk about. It's going to be an interesting episode. It's going to be kind of a split episode um, with me and Jason for first half and then me by myself for second half, and it's entirely my fault, folks, entirely my fault. I am – pushing the schedule around and um and and that's why we have to do it this way but it's a kind of a one-time thing so i want to get in right away get some thoughts from jason jason we're just going to start vague or or not vague but but um uh more global more more macro look here what are some of your week one takeaways you know what, what are some of the things that you're seeing one weekend obviously we're not talking definitively here that this is the new thing but what are some things that are jumping out on you any trends any particular players well, Trevor's story is in a class by himself, and yes. I don't honestly, I don't know what it, what. There's nothing left to talk about. There really so is. Just isn't. leave that out there. But my thing, the takeaway for me this week is, you know, good. If you've invested in good pitching, you're not very happy right now. And I, oh I did. I, I put together because I'm working on an article. I put together a staff of nine guys. So let's say six really good starters and three bottom half closers, because if you're going to pay for six starters, you're not getting good closers. So let's say this was your staff, you know, Marcus Stroman, Adam Wainwright, Corey Kluber, uh, Carlos Carrasco, Jose Fernandez, Zach Greinke. Those are your six. You're like, God, that's what a great staff. And then you've got Glenn Perkins, Francisco Rodriguez, and Sean Tolleson as your bottom end closers. So that's your nine. And like say even a 10 team mixed league. You're like, man, I'm feeling good. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, you come in with that. You went one and six. You blew three saves this week and you have an eight zero eight ERA and a 178 whip. Oh my. (laughs) And your win and your win. Was Carla was Marcus Marcus Stroman on opening day when he beat the Rays? That was your win. You have lost every game since that day. Oh my God! It's unbelievable. It's really truly, and I'm not even throwing Chris Archer in that. Yeah, Chris Archer. Who was not great? Out of that because I did a, I only did nine. But this is the the premise of my article because I'm focusing on Chris Archer because he's now 0 and five in his last eight starts with a 6.15 ERA and 1.78 WHIP. So Chris Archer, you know, if we 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 kind of forget how he finished off last year, we remember the strikeouts, but all the walks. The home runs, the things that are plaguing him right now were there in September as well. So we've got a an eight-start stretch, about a quarter of a season, where Chris Archer has been crap. That is interesting. Uh, and so how much do you put into carryover? Because I am one that will mention it. I understand that 
it's not always some major indicator, like a big second half doesn't mean that they're going to come in and dominate. But I do like to look at it. I always look at season makeup, how it evolves and and how how a guy got to where he got to because you know I've been pumping up Urban Santana not as like some you know every league stud that you got to get in a ten teamer but just as somebody who's really solid who maybe got forgotten last year because he got the suspension came back was crappy initially but then closed yep. brilliantly had a nice spring and now has two decent starts I actually one really good start and then one false start basically because it was the two inning rain game in Baltimore so he never right. really got to get going but. I do put a little bit of weight into it. Um, do you always sometimes case by case, like what, what's the situation for you with, with second halves bleeding into spring and the next half and then and look the first for behavioral, half. look for behavioral changes of the, you know, chasing more, using certain pitch types, chasing you know, offensively, looking for trends. So, so you're trying to build, uh, build a sample size up just to look and see, okay, what's going on uh, with this? But that's really all I'm doing with those second halves. I have to go back and look at Archer because everybody's, you think about the body of work last year going, man, this was great. But I remember watching them September. It wasn't good. Uh, you know, and, the, and the fastball command, these, I've watched, uh, I watched opening day. I did not get to watch uh, Friday night because I was out with my wife all night. Uh, so, I, but husband. I watched the highlights. Oh yeah, I had to do early anniversary because surprise, I'm traveling on our anniversary. What? Uh, I'm blown yeah, away no by shock, that. I'm blown right? away. Uh, so I um I went back to watch the highlights of the four homers he gave up and a lot of glove movement. It's always the thing I watch. You know, where's the catcher setting up? Yep. The slider looked like crap. It just was it, it was a bad slider and that that's really and the velocity's not where you'd want it to be. If you go back and look at his last couple of Aprils, the velocity is down from the previous two Aprils. And this is our trip that we're, Chris Archer that too. we're talking about. Yeah bit concerning there too so you know well um not freaking out about it but i, I could tell you yesterday in my home league once he got to like 22 dollars, i bowed out how much does the weather give give everybody globally a pass uh pitching wise for you when you're looking at some of the cold weather that we're dealing with some of the rain even in like a san francisco and in la it's even raining so not even the well, the west coast is protected how much do you just give like a you know a universal 10 percent or 15 percent or whatever it is how much of a universal discount do you give to weather or do you again go case by case quite a bit actually i mean I if that's you fair. think about it quite quite a bit uh, when you think garcher didn't want to make excuses it was a sloppy friday night uh, in Baltimore, yeah, and Baltimore's if you're trying to throw the slider, it's really tough to, to do some of that, especially if you're a change-up pitcher. That's a feel pitch, and if you can't feel your fingers, I mean, with Carlos Carrasco getting you know, three home runs, uh, he hadn't done that in a couple of years. Um, you know, Kluber didn't look that sharp, those kind oh. of things. So I am, yeah, the cold weather thing is, is a thing for me. I know okay. somebody tweeted us asking, hey, how did you get to see what Wainwright looked like? I have not seen him pitch yet. Same. But anybody, if he's pitched in a cold climate, I'm giving them a discount because it's tough. Pitching's a feel thing, man. If you can't feel your hands, I don't care how much you blow in your hands or whatever. If you're pitching outdoors in the Northeast right now, it sucks. I think that's one of the most underrated things about baseball that we cannot reiterate enough, that pitching is a feel thing. And if they look uncomfortable out there and they are blowing in their hand a million times and they're wiping their hand and, and they just kind of look agitated, that's probably an indication that they just don't have a feel. And that can be... A feel for one pitch in particular and okay that pitch isn't going to work it can be all your pitches it can be your mechanics it's so many different things that's why pitching is so dang hard and i want to stress that and obviously we're, we're barely a week in this is officially a week i guess since we did have three games last sunday but 
you can't freak out. You just can't. You can look for little trends. Now, there was a, a thing today on you know on Twitter talking about something that he noticed with Keiko and how um, they were maybe laying off a little bit more. It's not definitive that this is the new way. He's not necessarily figured out, and that's not what Eno was implying. But he saw something that is a sharp difference from last year, and it gives us something to watch. So you got to be mindful of those trends with with pitchers and and hitters as well. But pitchers, it's obviously going to ramp up more because every start is a bigger chunk of their season than, you know, four at-bats in a game. Yep. Let's talk, um, sorry, uh, let's talk Jeremy Hellickson. This is a former uh, Tampa Bay Ray, so you've you've seen him a lot. He's bounced around now from Arizona over to Philly. And two starts in, he looks all right. I mean, he looks he looks pretty good. I I watched today, but I honestly I'd be doing a disservice if I pretended to y'all that I was really focused on him. I was focused on Harvey, um, so I I I don't feel even comfortable saying too many definitive statements other than um, he's still short. He's still all arm. Hellickson is. He doesn't use his his lower half for anything on the ball. And I just wonder if maybe if he did, he he could even be better. But so far, so good with Jeremy Hellickson. What do you think? You know what? I I didn't see the game today. I did watch. I went back and watched the the first one. And I liked that he was using the curveball again. When he's gotten into problems, it's been that he's been too predictable. Uh, It's always been the fastball, the changeup. He's got to work on eye levels. The the third pitch is always a a differentiator. And I I saw more of those. I didn't get an exact count. And I'm looking. I'm I'm going to look at his... uh, um, his pitch type counts now to see what they were over the over the two stars to see exactly how many because I wasn't sitting there counting but I did happen to notice I'm like hey look there's some more curveballs that I'm used to seeing so I saw I'm looking at 22 curveballs today and 14 on opening day uh, or 24 breaking balls of the curve and slider so 24 and 27 and then 30 changeups in the start today versus 13 on opening day wow. so I, I like that that's what I like I think it's, it's critical I mean if you have Jeremy Hellickson um, in a 12 team mixed league I have to ask why I was going to say how'd you if even you get him, craft him <laughs> uh, in a 15 team league maybe you got him at a dollar most likely you have him in reserve. Um, I, I actually tried to get him in my 12-team NL home league, and I could not. See, something uh, like that is, is where I would get a guy like Alexson right. because you're going to get needed, 180 innings. Pitching. And I, try, I needed pitching, and I tried uh, at that point, but I just didn't have any money left um, in order to do that. But if that's what he's going to be, then yay. Uh, if that's that's what he used to be. And then then we started falling into patterns where we, we fell in love with this changeup too much. And if you've heard Oda Rizzi did an interview a couple of days ago talking about the same thing. Hey, you know, I, I, I started falling in love with my changeup. He lost today because one of these stupid innings, you know, uh, Kim gets his first major league hit. He gets uh, a Young fastball up and away. Yeah. And then hacks at it. It goes 45 feet on the infield in no man's land. And so then he gets a hit on that. And then uh, he gets another one on a, a, a pull shot through uh, over into the shift where somebody can't get over and cover the bag. Uh, just one of these things where, uh, no, Brad Miller got stuck in his glove. So he gets two, his first two major league hits and he hit the ball a total of about 110 feet <laughs> uh, today. But Oda Rizzi had one, one stupid inning. Otherwise Oda Rizzi looked good today, but just a couple defensive issues. And one thing in the outfield with Dickerson misplaying a ball. So you're not sweating. Odorizzi's no. kind of the shaky no, start he here. Good. He looked good today. I mean, okay. I, I saw the one innings I watched. I listened to innings. I listened to the game from inning four on, but I watched the first three uh, along those lines. But again, with Hellickson, as long as he's willing to use all three pitches, the, the issues are still going to be the run support. You know, there's all the concerns that you have in Philly uh, for him. But, you know, these are 
two good starts under his belt. One thing and, I like with Hellickson. Like one against the Mets, one against the Reds. And that's that's obviously a factor for sure, but the NL is going to be like that. There's going to be these soft spots. But one thing that's really jumped out to me with Hellickson so far, 12% swinging strike rate. 20 swings and misses on his 170 uh, pitches so far. I think that's what it was. Yeah, so 12%. That's 20 out of 170 for Hellickson. And that backs up the 11 strikeouts that he has in 11 and two-thirds innings. So I do like that from Hellickson. He is somebody I'm looking at. Still not going 10-team mixed. Borderline 12-team mixed. Uh, even, even with the two good starts, he's still somebody, Jeremy Hellickson, that you would want to spot if you were going to use him. Now let's talk Texas because I believe they were brutalized with injuries. Was it last year? That, that two, really, years uh, two years ago. Two years ago. Utterly brutalized. Uh, it, it didn't go much better last year. Obviously, they lost Darvish and, and, and other guys who I cannot think of right now. Jerickson Profar has been injured for 74 years. But they're off to a, a, a banner start yet again. Shinsu <laughs> Chu out four to six weeks and Robinson Chirinos out as well. I, I didn't get his timetable, so I didn't. Three, three months. Three months for Chirinos. So even Broken, longer. By the way. Oh, here's the, here's the crappy part. So, wait, amazing thing. So, I have Garrett Richards and Serenos in my AL home league. So, it was friendly fire that knocked oh, out my God. But here's the thing. Richards hit him with a, a fastball running in, and he finished the at-bat. Wow. They looked at him, looked at him, and he finished the at-bat. And then now he's gone three months. He's got a fractured forearm. And so, they're, and their catching situation is not pretty That's because exactly they, you know, they've got – Chris Jimenez, who's not 100%, and they called up some – I forgot the guy they called up. Oh, and they got um, they got Holiday, Brian Holiday, who they traded from for the Tigers. Remember, they were in Lucroy and Derek Norris rumors before the season even started when right. they had Chirino. So they were already not that thrilled with their catching situation. Now they lose their A guy. This is brutal. Now, there is a silver lining to the Chew injury, at least four to six weeks for him. And that's that Nomar Mazzara was called up. By the way, I should mention strained calf for, for Chew. Um, and Nomar Mazzara gets called up and shows immediately why folks are giddy on him, going three for three Idiot. with a bomb. So first things first, he's available in your 10 and your 12 teamers, probably most likely as opposed to like a 15 teamer. He was probably still drafted. What kind of budget... Um, are you using for for Nomar Mazzara, a 21-year-old rookie who came out of the gates firing both at AAA and now the majors in a 10 or 12-team mixed percentage of budget? 15%. I mean, the thing is, Chu's going to be out six weeks, so he has six weeks to audition. If he sticks, then then us you know us us the Shields owners have to be a little bit worried. I, I think so. Uh, to I see how that fair. goes too. So that's kind of where. So I'm 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 spending 15 maybe 20% on it. Because that opportunity could open up uh, if he just keeps going well, you're not going to send him back down. Or if he doesn't, you know, if if he does have struggles, then we'll see where it goes. I mean, other guys much more talented than him have uh, have struggled, and why he comes out and I mean, his bomb was a literal bomb. Hey, it, he ended up it was great, grass, but in in, uh, in Anaheim, it was a, just an absolute bomb. So that's where I that's where I'm at with him. I, I think. This accelerated. I, I wasn't expecting to see him until June, but this is why you go ahead and grab him. Who did Rick and Glenn? They drafted him to cover who? Him, they, they got him yeah. and Brinson. I can't remember who it was to cover, but they, they got both just thinking one of them they had come one up. Of the Texas. Yeah, I thought they had one I'm, of the I'm Texas. Looking, I'm looking it up right now to see. If if they got him to cover one, but uh, she was on Patrick's team. That's why that's why I thought they have. I guess that wasn't it. To your point on fifteen to twenty percent, that might not sound like a lot to people, but um, consider that you know because they saw him do well today, they might be like, I gotta spend thirty forty percent. Remember, Jorge, uh, not Jorge Polanco, Gregory Polanco was amazing out of the gate. Just 
stunning right. for like two weeks and then cooled down and has been kind of average since. So a hot start doesn't necessarily mean anything that it's automatically going to stick. But I understand being aggressive with Mazzara. We say 15 to 20% as a general rule. You know your league better than we do. So if they, if your guys and gals in your league are super aggressive, then you got to pump up the number that we're saying. We're just giving an idea. We, we, we don't know that it will automatically work. Jason, I got one more thing for you before I'm going to let you go, and then I'll do the second half solo. Malik Smith came up. Now, this was a guy that Eno and I spoke about. I don't know if you and I ever got a chance to speak about him. I can't imagine that we did too many podcasts in the winter focused on Malik Smith. But I remember with Eno talking about him and, and mentioning that I really liked him as a, as a speed asset who should get some time. And again, I didn't expect him this quickly to Atlanta, but an Ender NC Arte injury has opened the door for him. And he's a pure speedster, 34, 23, 40, 48, 64. These are some of his stolen base totals the last four years. Um, and actually, that's a 57. Those first two totals I gave were, were last year at triple and double A, 34 at triple A, 23 at double A. So he's a pure burner. What do you think about Malik Smith? Can he stick and can he be a, a big uh, SB asset? My concern is that he's the second coming of Essex Sneed. God, I hate uh, yeah. when you're right when, when it goes against somebody I like because I, I can't mean, ignore speed, that. that. Yeah, the Malik Smith, that's funny, our, our, our common friend Seth, I remember when he took Malik Smith, he drafted him because of the name. He's like, oh, I love this guy's name. And all. It, by the way, he also happens to steal a lot of bases. I think he took him two years ago uh, in, in a 12-team in a NL, a NL league that, that he's a part of. So the speed's obviously there. They're going to give him the chance. When you look at – you look – What's impressive is you look throughout his minor league career and all he does is get on base. It's just a lot of his on base percentage is, is tremendous for career from yeah, all over the level because he's going to, you know, you, you would hope he just slaps it on the ground and tries to run it out. And that's the, that's where you really want to see, see him do, do cause he hits from the left-hand side. So he's already two steps to first base. So yeah, in a, in a 12 team mixed, I'm buying. Because okay. he's gonna, you're gonna, he's gonna play, and if he can come up and, and steal some bases, let, let's get him on the bases and, and running. He only had you know he only had one attempt in the minors thus far yeah. through three games, and he converted it. But you know, let's get him on the base pass and try to get some steals uh, while he's out. Because if you had Enciarte, that's what you had him for. That sounds great. Um, in terms of you got to give him a chance, even in shallower leagues, he can be a huge speed asset. So I do like Malik Smith. Um, again, came earlier than we expected phrasing but really like him to possibly be a big speed asset this year jason i gotta let you go uh quick one with you we will be full and and legitimate next week my schedule will yeah. not be as crazy and annoying and just for the interest of full disclosure it's not even a work thing it's a personal thing but jason's awesome so i appreciate you squeezing this in for the first half i'll do the second half solo and then you and i'll be back next week how's that sound sounds good all right man i'll talk to you later see ya have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I mentioned a few times that in May, I'm going up to Detroit to check out my Tigers in Comerica Park, and I can guarantee you that my sister and I will be using SeatGeek to get some prime seats for those games. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets anymore, whether I'm going to a game or a concert. I got the app on my phone, and I've been using it just kind of scout some things out, get, get a good feel for it before I purchase my tickets for May. 
And honestly, what SeatGeek has done is they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all available tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your 20 buck rebate, though, all you got to do is go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SLEEPER. So for the second half of the show, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the closer situations that are a little bit shaky after one week. And then dive into some of the most uh, popular starting pitcher pickups and kind of give my thoughts on them. But let's start with with the closers. Not too much has necessarily changed with guys, you know, ousting another for for the job or anything. But it's only a week, and yet I still think we're moving pretty rapidly to the trend of teams using their best guy in in whatever situation calls for it, not necessarily the ninth inning. Now. I shouldn't overstate it because right now we've seen what I believe Houston has done with it, obviously putting Ken Giles uh, out of the closer role and into that fireman's role more more like it. But then Oakland did the same thing with Sean Doolittle. There was a save situation, but they needed him for the heart of the order in the eighth. They went to him and they let Ryan Madsen close because they had a very capable option that they could go to after using Doolittle. And it, you know, I don't want to make too much of it and say this is now the trend 100% because it's not. You know, We still see plenty of teams that are going to go to their closer and they're going to use their 7th, 8th inning guy maybe even in a tougher situation. Now, a lot of teams have a guy that they can rely on, like Baltimore. I don't think they necessarily have to use Zach Britton whenever the, the situation calls for it because they've got Darren O'Day and he's, he's elite 100%. Now, maybe it's a situation where, okay, you got two lefties and a righty coming up. Maybe you go to Britain because in the ninth, it's three righties and no day can get them. I, I don't know, but I don't think they're necessarily going to do that. But we are seeing a few teams be a little bit more open to it. And it looks like Oakland is going to be open to it. Now, I think when we fast forward a few years, we're going to see this as the trend uh, for many teams. And it's just going to really, it's going to make saves even more annoying because they're annoying right now, right? You know, it's tough to get them. There's only 30 guys at any moment who can be getting them. And, you know, that's so volatile. What about when there's, you know, 45 guys who can get them? When half the league is, is doing this best man up sort of thing, you know? Even when a, even when Roldis Chapman comes back, I don't think it'd be crazy for the Yankees to just say, you know what, we're going to go with what what's the best here. And if you got a lefty-loaded lineup and you got to get Chapman and Miller – through the seventh and eighth, and then Batanzas gets the save. That's why not? They've got three elite guys. They should do that. But you know, it's, it's going to be a slow process. We're still going to have the guys who are the the bona fides, and that definitely works. But uh, I want to talk specifically about the Oakland situation. I think you got to keep Doolittle one hundred percent, obviously. But if you just start trolling for any kind of saves, you might go ahead and get Madsen. 
he already got two. Now the se now the first of those two was because Doolittle had gone back to back, and then the second was that situation that I mentioned where um, they wanted to bring Doolittle in into what they believed was the toughest situation of the game, and then let Madsen finish it out because again he's really good. Madsen's really good. It's easy. You feel more comfortable. When you've got a guy like that that you can just lean on at the back end because uh, last year they did not have that. They did not have that at all in Oakland. It was Doolittle or bust. Then he busted, and so did that bullpen. That bullpen was awful, awful, awful. So now they've got two guys that they really like. I think Liam Hendricks is somebody that they can really count on as well in that 6th, 7th area. Uh, pardon me. So then you're looking at him, uh, Hendricks 6th, 7th, and then Doolittle, Madsen 8th, 9th, however, however it comes up. I wonder if San Francisco might be interested in something like that with Hunter Strickland, Sergio Romo, Santiago Casilla, um, Seattle, Sishek, and Benoit could do it. Tony Zick is a beast, and I really think that they should kind of work him in. Now, let's talk a little bit. Now, so that, 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 that's a, that's a kind of wait-and-see thing, right? We know Oakland is, is doing it at least in the first week. We know some other teams might be open to it. Like I mentioned, Houston, you know, they're, they're using their fireman, Giles, in the toughest situations right now we got to wait and see if anybody else kind of jumps on board or if it's just a few outliers right now elsewhere in bullpens we are seeing some situations that are in flux and i'll start with the texas situation because they didn't have a great week over there and uh, it looked like uh, sean tollison might be losing his hold on on the gig for sure because he had a really first off he had one of the most brutal outings of the week five runs no outs that's that's just tough now he hasn't given up a run in any of his other two outings at least not one charge to him but the the outing right after that where he gave up the five runs he gave up a walk off to albert pujols on on two pitches so that was brutal it didn't go to him like i said because it was somebody else's run but that's still it was him let's be honest and after that, I thought that he, I thought that Sam Dyson might get the next opportunity over Tollison, but they gave it to they gave it to Dyson, or excuse me, they gave it to Tollison. Uh, April 9th. he got the next save opportunity and he locked it down. One inning, one hit, nothing else. Everything you know was relatively fine there. So I'm keeping a close eye on that situation. Though I think if you're specking for saves, you got to jump on Sam Dyson. I do think that he's the second in command over Kayla. I like Keone Kayla, but he's a younger guy. They just might not be ready to entrust him with the role right off the bat. He's a 23-year-old, and I think that they'd rather go to Dyson first if Tollison blows it. Not to mention, we've seen Kayla three times now, and it's been seventh, seventh, and seventh. He's, he's the seventh-inning guy right now. You know, I think one thing that that can happen to a lot of people in, in fantasy, and I do this, is I focus on the guys who I think are the best, and I don't always pay attention to the usage. And the manager usage will tip you off a lot of the times. So don't be an arrogant dummy like me and think, well, no, this guy's better, so he'll obviously move to him. Sam Dyson's in the 8th, 8th, 8th. Actually, he went 7th into the 8th, his first appearance, and then 8th into the ninth, his second appearance, and then had the 8th himself on that April um, ninth save that that Tollison got. Sorry, I'm saying eighth, ninth so many times, and then I jump in with the the date, April ninth. But either way, Tollison in the eighth, Kayla in the seventh. Right now, did I say that Tollison? Well, scratch that. It's Tollison in the ninth, Dyson in the eighth, Kayla in the seventh. But I think Tollison has a tenuous hold right now, 
and you really should be speculating on Dyson if your save's hungry. Maybe you had Storin or Giles and you lost them, or maybe you went cheap at the back end and you're just kind of messing with it. I think Dyson's the guy to get. Out in Philly, it's a total nightmare. I'm not sure I'd even jump in for any of those guys, but um, they're, they're kind of all over the map. It's looking like Jinmar Gomez might be the guy, though. Now, he wasn't even really on the radar initially. It was all the talk was about uh, David Hernandez and Dalia Hinojosa. And so all of a sudden, it looks like Gomez could be the guy. And he pulled two saves over the weekend, the ninth and 10th. Two, two relatively relatively clean. I guess a clean inning, you can't give up a hit. And he gave up a hit yesterday. But otherwise, two innings, one hit, one strikeout for J. Mark Gomez. You know, you're not going to feel great about him as a closer, uh, J. Mark Gomez. He's not a strikeout guy. He's going to be a lot of contact. Going to be a little bit scary. You're already going to be scared about having a Philadelphia closer, um, you know, now that Ken Giles is gone. So I don't know how much that can last. If you want to troll for some short-term saves, I think that's your guy, but he had two saves, so he probably got picked up a lot um, on Sunday evening uh, for leagues that 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 do that do that uh, time period for pickups. So I don't know. I'm not going crazy for him. If you're desperate for saves, plan on you know when you're when you're trying to budget. I would plan on I'm going to get five to seven saves from from Gomez as as kind of my baseline, and then go from there because you just don't know. If, if he's going to be able to hold the job. I just don't know that he has the stuff to necessarily hold that job. He's been a perfectly solid reliever for the last three years, Jen Gomez has, after failing as a starter. But he hasn't gotten really the boost that we see a lot of guys get when they go into the bullpen. His strikeouts are still super lame. Um, I, don't th- I don't know that he's throwing all that hard. I guess I should look that up before saying it because strikeouts are not just a measurement of how hard you throw. Mate, let's be clear about that. That is not how it works. But yeah, he's throwing 90-91. That, that's where Jemar Gomez is. And it's, it's just not special. So I think he's a placeholder. If you're trolling, go ahead. But it's tenuous. Um, Tampa Bay seems a little bit, you know, not necessarily. They've only got two Ws. That's the thing, too. We're, we're making a lot out of a week. And some teams only got, uh, you know, one or two Ws. So we don't see any saves for Tampa Bay. And we're like, oh, well, you know, what, what are we supposed to do? Probably just kind of kind of hold. Because uh, there's not going to be a lot of moves to make when you haven't even seen the team really work. But Danny Farquhar has been in the seventh inning, both of his outings. So I certainly think that you can kind of move on from him if you need a roster spot. If you were waiting for him for saves, they might come back to him. But right now, I don't think it's there. Meanwhile, Alex Colomay, the perceived closer, his only appearance was all the way back on April 5th. And he got two outings, the eighth and the ninth. Or two innings, uh, the eighth and the ninth. And it wasn't a save situation. So... That one's still kind of up in the air. I think you hold column A and kind of go from there. Let's move over to Minnesota. Glenn Perkins, not off to a uh, tremendous start, but it's 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 been two outings, so I really don't want to freak out. I'm sorry. I know I'm like straddling the fence here, but that's what we got to do. We're, we're dealing with such tiny samples. We're just kind of talking about the trends and going from there. He got two outings in Kansas City over the weekend. First one was was uh, no runs, but it was bad. He put three runners on, two hits and a walk, um, and two strikeouts, but that wasn't good. And then yesterday, Sunday, he gave it up. Three hits, two runs, game over, blown save. So Kevin Jepsen is looming there, but I really like Trevor May. Now, again, I don't want to be the arrogant guy who just says, well, Trevor May has – 
the really dope skills, and so let's just take him because we think he deserves the job. That's that's just not how it works. He's been in the seventh inning, the seventh inning. Now, for his first two outings were, were two-inning stints, and I think that that's a great way to use him. So I actually like Trevor May even in leagues of a certain depth in a – Dellen Batances-esque role. Let me be careful when I say that. Of course, I'm not saying that Trevor May is Dellen Batances. What I'm talking about, though, is when Dellen Batances two years ago was a multi-inning monster, just an utter monster. Back in 2014, I think half of his outings were multiple innings, and he was a total, total beast. Now, We'll see if Trevor May can kind of keep the, the strikeouts up. He's got eight strikeouts in four and two-thirds innings, and his numbers do look Batansas-ian. That, that's a tough one to put an IAN on at the end. Um, but the, he looks Batansas-esque. Let's go with Batansas-esque. But it's super, super early, so I don't know. But I, I love Trevor May. I think he can be a really, really filthy reliever, maybe a cut below somebody like a Batansas who's just such a superstar that it's tough to throw that tag on anybody. But I'm specking on Trevor May, I think, even though I know that he, he probably would have to leapfrog Jepson too. But what is so special about Kevin Jepson that Trevor May can't leapfrog him if he ends up being Batances Jr., right? And you look at Jepson's two outings, uh, excuse me, three outings. He gave up runs in the first two. That's brutal. And then, um, you know, got the hold yesterday on, on April 10th, that's Sunday, uh, pitching the eighth before uh, Perkins blew it. Sorry, I'm all over all over the map here with all these names. But, you know, I don't know that we feel that great about Jepson. I think he probably gets the first crack if they move away from Perk. But it could be a situation where he gets the first crack, blows two of the first three, and we're on Trevor May. So, honestly, I am going to leapfrog the next up and go with Trevor May there because I think that there's a chance that if he gets that job, Trevor May, he can be a top it's tough to say top 10 closer, particularly when this team doesn't have a W yet. But here's my bold prediction. The, the Twins will win some games this year. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure how good they're going to be. Remember last year, we were skeptical on them all freaking year. And I think that they maybe were a little bit skeptical on themselves. And that's why they didn't bring up Jose Barrios. So they're in a tough American League, a tough American League Central. It could just be a, a tough sled in here. And they could wind up on the short end where, you know, on paper, they could have been an 80-something win team. Things break wrong for a few bad losing streaks, and all of a sudden you're in the 70s. Um, I think they're they're. it's too early to write them off, though. They're 0-6. I know folks want to freak the hell out when your team is 0-6 and, and, and Braves, you're 0-5, but you kind of expected it. Twins, I know you had a little bit more expectation. There's still so much young talent that can help this team that I refuse to write them off. So, uh, But either way, my point was... I. I'm not sure that I would say Trevor May could be a top 10 closer, even if he keeps displaying amazing skills, striking everybody out, because you do kind of need to be on a good team to get those opportunities. But I think he could be a top half closer right right off the bat. If, if Trevor May gets the job, I think he's a top half, top 15 sort of guy. So I'm specking on him over Jepsen. Uh, the only situation where I might go Jepsen first is if you're – no, no, you know what? I'm not. I'm not going Jepsen. I'm going straight Trevor May here. Let me see what other situations. I can't think of any other that are necessarily um, that had some flux to them this week. I think a lot of the other ones have been, you know, relatively stable or just 
unsettled or, or, or unmoved because there weren't a lot of opportunities. And again, we're, I can't reiterate enough. We're going off of a week here. It's, it's too tough to really get too wacky. Uh, Brad Ziegler is somebody who a lot of folks think could lose his job. Uh, for obvious reasons, his skills just are not closer-esque. But he had a 185 ERA last year with 30 saves. So that counts for something, you know. Um, his ground ball capability is going to you know, keep a, me- a measure of confidence in him. And, you know, we talk about this where the teams want their best relievers doing the toughest parts of the game. That kind of fits with Arizona because the ninth isn't always the hardest. And a lot of times you come in fresh in the ninth with a three-run three, uh, lead that's not a bad place to start. And they want Tyler Clippert and Daniel Hudson and Andrew Chafin coming in when it's, when it's really hot, when you got runners on first and second one out and some big stud up. Now you could definitely use Ziegler in some of those situations because he can get that ground ball and really get you out of it. But when you want that power strikeout, I think that they're looking elsewhere at, at, at guys like Hudson and Clippert. So I'm not sure that they're going to be ready to make a move at least not without some some uh, implosions by Ziegler, and we haven't seen anything like that. He's put three base runners on in his three innings, but otherwise he's finished three games, no saves just yet. So there aren't too many other situations that that are that are burning right now. I think you can kind of stay the course with with just about everybody else except for those couple situations that we're talking about right now. Um, we'll we'll obviously keep monitoring that. That's one of the the biggest hotbeds for fantasy analysis is is closer situations because they are always in flux. Now I want to end talking about some some waiver pickups for this week and some starting pitchers specifically, some guys that I looked at for the starting pitcher guide. Um, and if you haven't got your starting pitcher guide yet, I know draft season's over for at least the overwhelming majority of us. If you're still doing your draft, that's fine, you know, because it's your league and maybe you had to had to do it. But I always like drafting before the season. I did have one this past weekend. I don't. I like having my team before the week uh, before the season starts, but I'm not here to blast anybody's league. If you're playing and having fun, that's all that really matters. So if you still got a draft, great. But most of us don't, and you're like, well, what do I need the starting pitcher guy for? Well, I'm doing a weekly waiver pickup where I analyze the pitchers du jour, if you will, and and kind of give my thoughts on whether or not you should pick them up. And this week I had eight guys that I that I dove into, and that goes out to the starting pitching guide subscribers and and so you you get on the mailing list and and you get this stuff right in your inbox and i hope i I think people are really going to like it um i haven't gotten the feedback yet on this one of course i had trouble getting the pictures properly formatted so this one went out later than i would have liked it obviously i'd like it i really want to be able to get this thing out on saturday and i wasn't able to this past weekend i won't be able to this upcoming weekend because i'll be out of town but then going forward it really should be a saturday thing give people some time to digest it um but i still put together i still i still am am happy with with how it came out and i think folks are going to enjoy it but let's talk about some of these some of these guys here uh let me see let me pull this up so I covered, uh, the, I ran the gamut on guys, you know, because some leagues are going to, you know, be shallower or deeper than, uh, you know, we got to cover, I, I said, you know, like 90 times there. Sorry, that was a crutch phrase as I was looking for for the file so I could talk about these guys. But I, I'm definitely going to have some guys who will be available in only shallow leagues. I'm going to have some guys who are available in deeper leagues, and I kind of go top to bottom. Now, Urban Santana, Anibal Sanchez, if you're in a league that is, more than 10 teams, maybe even 12 in some instances. Those two are probably um, on a roster somewhere, as they should be. They both should have been drafted. You, you, you should gamble on them. 
um, because they didn't have the best year last year. Santana had the suspension, his own doing, so you don't really get a pass for that. But the fact is, it, it kind of disrupted his season, so he didn't really get on track until late. And then, But he had a nice spring to go with his great finish. And he's Urban Santana. He's a solid, proven guy of, of a certain level. So we've seen him get on runs, too. He can have big runs for 10 12 starts at a time, and if he's, uh, so I'm jumping in on him, basically. Now, CBS, he was 82% owned for Urban Santana, so he's not available in deeper leagues. But shallower leagues, you're looking for a guy, everyone's looking for the flashy new thing, maybe go to an old standby with Urban Santana or Anibal Sanchez. Now, Sanchez, um, even less available than Santana, but available out there. You know, 46% at ESPN, that's 10-team leagues, mostly, and so he's half over half available. Still only 70% at Yahoo, 67% at CBS, so 30% of leagues got a chance at him as well, even on the deeper variety, and I think you got to take a chance on Sanchez. I mentioned in the piece, we make all these bets on Jaime Garcia every year, who's far more injury-prone. Why wouldn't you take a shot on Sanchez? We're a year removed from a two-year stretch where he was the best home run suppressor in the league. And then he allowed a boatload of homers last year, and the injuries were, were at play. So it's a health, not skill thing with him. And I've probably said it a thousand times on this podcast that I'm willing to bet on a profile that I know is talented even when the health isn't necessarily there. And then I'll take a gamble that the health will come together and, and, and hold up. So I'm betting on Anibal Sanchez. Now, let's talk about – I'm kind of glossing over those two because we kind of know about them. They're older They're older guys. There's no real tricks there, but they're just – they kind of slid under the radar this year. They need to be picked up. These next six are, are more intriguing, more widely available. A lot of them are younger, and they deserve a little bit more attention. We'll start with Aaron Nola. And the weird thing is we got three Phillies on, on the list this week because, hey, they went out and had a nice week. They also played Cincinnati. Um, they did go to the Mets, which is a, a definitely a better offense. But when you got that Cincinnati on your ledger, just like Philly themselves, does take a little bit out of any performance that you have. You can't just go haywire and say, hey, they rolled the Phillies. They rolled the Reds. Go pick them up. But at the same time, Aaron Nola was somebody I really liked coming into the season, so I, I am surprised that he's about half available in Yahoo and ESPN leagues. CBS, you're pretty much out of luck. 12% of leagues, uh, anybody listening and playing in a CBS league, he's probably not available. But you're in Yahoo, ESPN, there's a good chance that he's out there, or at least a 50-50 chance. There's a chance also that he's ready to be a Jordan Zimmerman type right away. He probably needs more time to reach that level for Aaron Nola, but it's a possibility. So that's why I think you've got to jump on it. Now, if strikeouts are your big need, you should probably look elsewhere. But if you're just looking for best pitcher available, you're not chasing wins, you're not chasing strikeouts, you just want a good pitcher, I think Aaron Nola is a good one to go ahead and get. Now, teammate Vincent Velasquez is next, and I actually like him better from a pure talent standpoint than Nola. However, Nola has to get the edge if you're thinking long-term because Vincent Velasquez is going to have an innings limit. There's just no way that he can't. Nola threw 186 innings last year, almost 100 more than Velasquez is 89. So we already know he's not going to make it to the finish line. But if you're looking for a short-term fix, whether it's to replace uh, somebody who's been recently injured or you got to bridge the gap to a U Darvish or a Homer Bailey or a Zach Wheeler, one of the TJ guys that you might have bought in on, then I think you got to go with Velasquez. He's got filthy stuff, giving him big strikeout upside. The ERA and whip 
You know, I'm not sure that the whip's going to be great. He can, he can put some guys on at times. He can struggle a little bit. The power stuff can be tough to command. So we could see some bumps in the road. But by and large, I think the upside is higher in the short term than NOLA. If we're talking like a two-month sample, you're just trying to get to June or something like that, then I would go with Velasquez over NOLA. And I'll jump to their other teammate, Jeremy Hellickson, who is definitely different than the other two because he's the veteran guy. He's the 29-year-old kind of uh, rotation filler that they put in while they develop their guys, probably not expecting too much. And then, boom, two nice starts to, to open up the season. Now, I'm not going crazy for Hellickson. First off, we, we've got an idea of what he is. We, 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 we've seen enough from him to know that uh, Hellickson's unlikely – to be having a, 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 a massive resurgence here, some sort of massive breakout. However, the 26% strikeout rate does jump out to me, and it's well supported by a 12% swinging strike rate. The general, the rule of thumb, like the easy rule is take your swinging strike rate, to, uh, multiply it by two for an expected strikeout rate, so to speak. So 12% swinging strikes, that's 24% strikeout rate is a little bit above that. Even 24% would be great for Hellickson. We've never really seen the big strikeouts from him, but we've seen swinging strike rates for years. He can get the swings and misses at about a 10% clip, which is above average. Average is about nine, eight and a half, nine percent So he's been above average. It's just never really translated into strikeouts. Well, so far, two starts in, we are seeing it translate for Hellickson. Granted, it was against the Reds, I mentioned for one of them. And the Mets, they are a better offense, so, um, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to take credit away from both starts or anything. He still had to go out and do it. There are plenty of times that he faced bad teams last year, Hellickson did, and wasn't good. So I don't just want to completely erase what guys are doing if it comes against a bad team. We still have to pay attention to it. But what I usually do here on these early movers, um, if we're not just talking about young guys who were betting on their potential, if we're talking about these these more veteran types, I'm looking for changes, right? And a couple things that we have seen with him in addition to, you know, getting more swings and misses, that's not necessarily a change, right? What, what's, what's, what's causing that to happen? And I think that a couple things that we're seeing is uh, he's shifted from the four-seamer to the sinker, which explains the, the, the velocity drop. And meanwhile, he's also changed his cutter from a seldom-used high 80s offering to a more reliable low 80s weapon. And that, that data is per Brooks Baseball, brooksbaseball.net or .com. I think it's net. Either way, you need to be on Brooks Baseball every day. Yeah, brooksbaseball.net. They, they do an amazing job over there, really keeping track of things. Um, such an invaluable tool. I absolutely love it. So we're talking about a 29-year-old in Jeremy Hellickson who has nearly 900, uh, 900, excuse me, nearly 800 innings of about average work. He's got a 98 ERA plus. So we're not going crazy because he's unlikely to just be some 120 plus uh, ERA plus kind of guy, which is, you know, that that's a kind of a random cutoff, uh, an arbitrary cutoff, but that, that signifies a, a pretty damn good season if you're at 120. But we've got some changes to watch, you know, keep an eye on that sinker. Let's see, see if it continues to work for him. And that cutter as well. Is that something that, you know, in the low 80s has become a better weapon for him? And you throw in the fact that Helixson's always had some some decent stuff otherwise, curveball that can work. And I mentioned before that this isn't the first time that we've seen him get swings and misses. Now, he's at a higher clip than we've ever seen from him, but... 
10% throughout his career, jumping up to, to 11, 12% is not all that surprising. So I'm keeping an eye on Helixson. I'm not freaking out. I mentioned in the piece that um, I have to have a need, like an open spot via injury or somebody sent to the minors. I'm not going to cut one of my late round arms that I drafted to take a chance on Helixson because I obviously felt a certain way about those guys that I drafted that I I, I don't want to remove them for Helixson just yet after one week, but I am I'm keeping an eye on him. Next up is Brandon Finnegan, who's very similar to Vincent Velasquez in terms of that high upside um, arm who can give you the big strikeouts, who could be kind of a beast, but would be doing it in the short term because I think he's also going to be staring an innings limit in, in the face at some point. He threw 105 innings between Kansas City and Cincinnati in double, triple A, and, and the majors. So I don't know that he's going to be able to go much more than, say, 160, I think, would be the high end. You know, the Reds aren't going to be good this year. They're not expected to be. I don't. They, I guess they could surprise any of these bottom feeders that we've projected. They could definitely surprise, but I don't see the talent in Cincy that suggests that they're just going to come out of nowhere. Finnegan's more widely available than Velasquez. I don't think his upside is quite as high either. But he, I'm saying there's similar type profile of high strikeouts. Um, you know, could be really awesome for a short term stint. I don't know that Finnegan gets as much love as he should, maybe because he broke in as a reliever, but he was a high-pedigree guy for sure. Um, Got to the majors right away, again, as a reliever, and I think that maybe that's fooling some folks into thinking, oh, he's not that good of a prospect, or the fact that he's just not huge. He's 5'11". I don't know. There's also some anonymity of being in Cincinnati um, on on a team that's not that good, but he struck out 20 guys in 21 innings, to close uh, last year with five starts that, that Cincinnati gave him. However, home runs were a bit of an issue. He allowed uh, 1.1 homers per nine as a reliever with the Royals, and then Finnegan was up to 1.9 homers per nine in those five starts. So he needs to keep the ball in the yard. He is a ground ball pitcher, though. So what that tells me, this is more about command than his profile, right? If he was a fly ball pitcher who had kind of shaky command, it could be really bad. He could be allowing homers like crazy. The fact that he's actually a ground ball guy, he, he can keep the ball down and in the yard when he's on suggests that you got to tighten up the command a little bit, keep keep the gopheritis at bay, and you could have a, a big run here. So I do like Brandon Finnegan. Next up is Chris Tillman, and he's very similar to Jeremy Hellickson in that he's a veteran type uh, at age 28, I believe, is uh, the season that we're in with Tillman. So it's hard to really get crazy on two week, on, on two starts, especially because one of his was stunted. It was a two-inning rain, rained out, or not rained out. It was a rain delay that was too long. He couldn't come back. So he's only got one full start. However, we do have some things to look at with Chris Tillman. And um, I think if we keep an eye on these factors, this will tell us, okay, can we, can we maybe be seeing something of a breakout even at age 28? Or is there, you know, is it just a nice little run to start? Because again, it's not even two full starts. It's a start and, you know, a quarter or whatever, or a third, whatever the case, it was two innings. So I guess about a third, because he's, you know, six, seven innings sort of guy for Tillman. But the, 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 the factors that we can look at, the velocities up, 1.6 miles per hour. That's a, that's a decent jump. Doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, once you get beyond one tick, it starts to be a little something. So he's up about a mile and a half from 
93.3 to 93.9 with the fastball for Tillman. Next, and this is the biggest thing because this was mentioned in the starting pitcher guide before the season, was the location of the fastball. Fastball up is key for Tillman. He's had success when he works in the upper third, and he's taken that to the extreme right now. And it's really working. 53% of his fastballs, he's thrown 66 of them, have been up there. Last year, he was down at 38%, a career low. He's also gotten a bunch of swings and misses and is coming with every pitch. The fastball up, the, the change curve and slider buried down in the zone. And again, it's an exaggerated situation right now where the, where the secondary stuff, the change curve and slider, is really being buried. It's down in the zone. I can't exactly remember. I think it's 64% of the time right now in the lower third. His career is 47%. So it, it, it's really stark right now. He's really working the fastball up, everything else down, and it's working. It's getting strikeouts. He's got added velocity. I've been a Tillman guy in the past. I wavered a little bit this year in terms of I wasn't pumping him nearly as much because I figure, you know what, maybe we're just not going to see the strikeouts. And I've always felt like his stuff could offer more strikeouts. So I'm encouraged early. I'm not you know, cannot freak out on seven innings. I cannot stress that enough. But we've seen some success from Tillman in the past. If he can be at, you know, mid-eights with his strikeout rate, let alone the uh, the obscene 12.9 strikeouts per nine that he's at right now, which will not last, let's be honest. But if he can be just under or at a strikeout per inning, I think that that could be really key for Chris Tillman. So I'm holding out some hope for him. Now, I might... I might bump someone off the roster for Tillman uh, a little bit more than Hellickson. So he's, he's, he's above Hellickson for me, but just a little bit. I'd still probably want a, a need to have opened for me to go for Tillman, but I'm keeping a close eye on him right now. I really think he could pay off uh, regardless of league type if some of these changes are real. And I think his changes are more um, actionable and, and a little bit better than, than Hellickson. So I've got him above Hellickson uh, at this point, and I'd be looking to add Tillman in leagues where I had a spot open. And again, I might bump somebody off, whether it's uh, my last round pick or second to last round pick, just to try to get Tillman onto the roster. And then, last but not least, actually, it is least because he's he's the lowest on the uh, on the list. So that that phrase doesn't work there, Paul. Ross Stripling. Now, listen, I understand that those of you outraged. Uh, many of you are outraged by the fact that he wasn't allowed to continue the no-hitter. But you know what? That just reeks of, of sour grapes because I feel like you're only coming at it from a fan's perspective because you wanted to see somebody on his debut, a random fifth starter who you know was a sneak winner of the job in the first place. You wanted to see him throw a no-hitter on his debut, and I get it. I would have liked that too. But... You can't you can't tell me that that justifies going another 20 pitches automatically. And I'm not saying that those extra 20 pitches, if that's what it would have taken, or who knows, it could have taken 30 pitches. Do you just let them keep going? Like, what's the cutoff? I understand that 100 is not a magic number. It doesn't mean that pitch 101 is going to bust you or pitch 111, 120 is going to bust you. But at the same time, this is a guy who, you know, is is – this is his first full season off of TJ. He, he did pitch last year, had 71 innings. But his first start in the majors, we don't see a lot of aces go that much beyond 100 in their first start. And you want him to ramp it up and just keep going? I don't know. It seems really short-sighted for a, a, a no-hitter, which is awesome. It's cool. I, I still enjoy no-hitters. I, I love Brian Kenny, and I know he's anti-no-hitter, but I still like no-hitters. So I, I get it. 
but no, man, no, I don't know. I, and I, I've said on Twitter when it happened, I'm like, I'm torn because I might have left him in, to be honest. But at the same time, I, I respect the move. I really do. They came in with a plan. He's going to get 100 pitches, and that's it. And here's the thing. You're gonna you're overrating this this outing if you're if you're running out and getting Ross Stripling because it's seven and a third innings, no hits, one earned, four walks, four strikeouts. If it was three hits in that column or two hits and everything else is the same, are you are you really making that much of a a, a fuss over Ross Stripling? If it's seven and a third, two hits, one earned, four walks, four strikeouts, who gives a crud? Right, whatever, decent start from a fifth starter against a, a quality team. I, you know, San Francisco's good. So hats off for, for matching up against a tough team. But I think he's getting a lot of credit for that zero hits column as if it's talent that, 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 that 100% drove that. I'm not saying he's not talented, but there's not much. Mo- I'm not saying that what I'm saying is there's not a talent difference between zero hits and three hits in this particular line score. And if it was two or three hits in that line score, he'd barely be a blip on your radar. But because of the big story around it and everything, you people wanting to go pick him up. And I just don't see it. I, I don't see any real reason to go get him in anything but the deepest of leagues where you just need a body who's pitching. He reminds me a lot of a, of a guy who actually completed the no-hitter last year, and that's Chris Heston for the team that, that Stripling was facing. In, in that, I mean that they were organization prospects. They were not really in the top 10 of their organization, or if they were, they were very low in it. They have modest upside and a relatively high floor where it seemed like, okay, Chris Heston and Ross Stripling have the talent to make the major leagues in some capacity, whether it's you know as a reliever or as a swingman, a fifth starter, whatever. They had, they had that kind of floor where it's like, they should make it, make it as long as they're healthy, but they're never going to be special. They've got four-pitch mixes uh, based on an 89, 90-mile-per-hour fastball that basically requires them to have three secondary pitches. It, it's just not special, folks, and I, I don't think you should let the no-hitter potential make you run out and go get him as if that's going to happen all that much. Now, if you want to bet and hope that he goes on a Heston-esque run, remember he had a 291 ERA in his first seven starts last year, then be my guess, but it, but it's a, it's a negative EV expected value, um, you know, it, it return on on that bet. I, I I just don't think that you really uh, want want to bet all that much that that uh, Ross Stripling, excuse me, is going to be all that special because you're making that bet based on on you know a, a solid start that didn't give up any hits, but big flipping deal last year's numbers for Chris Heston by the time it was over 395 ERA 131 whip 7.1 strikeouts per nine not special that's Ross Stripling he's a fifth starter for a reason he's solid capable major leaguer but it's not going to be that special so don't run out and go get Ross Stripling because he had a special night that you know endears him to people because he got taken out and you wanted to see him stay in as I said in the SP guide piece you guys remind me of of trade vetoers. You're really only thinking about your self interest here when you're when you're that mad about this, because you you had sour grapes that you didn't get to see a potential no hitter. Um, I, I just I don't know. Again, I can't say definitively that 15 to 20 or 30 pitches would ruin his career. Nobody can. I get that. But at the same time, why even why take that risk for a no hitter? Come on. Anyway. 
uh, that's going to do it. Sorry for the weird podcast. Schedule was stupid on Sunday. A personal thing uh, came up, and, and not a bad personal thing, just something that, that I was doing that got completely off the, off the course and ruined my whole night schedule-wise, but I committed to it, so I wanted to stay the course with it, and Jason was awesome and said, okay, yeah, I'll do, I'll do 20 with 15 to 20 minutes with you, and then you, as long as you finish it, but we got to get a podcast. And I was like, yeah, totally. I, I firmly agree. So we won't be doing that all the time. Um, it was just an extenuating circumstance. So hopefully you guys are chill with this. And then Eno and I will be back uh, with the regular Monday and Wednesday pods. Thanks. Bye.